Hey, it's Jess Massa. Thanks for listening to this episode of WTF Health. All this talk about the future of health is brought to you in part by our sponsors, Transparent, OneDrop, Wheel, Pfizer, Vita Health, Utopia, 120 over 80 marketing, and Bayer G4A. And don't forget, if you want to check out the video version of this interview, head on over to my YouTube channel. That's at youtube.com slash WTF Health. Hey everybody, it's Jessica DeMassa with WTF Health. What's the future health? I am talking to the who's who of health tech and healthcare innovation. And today I'm checking in with Mickey Tripathi. He is the National Coordinator for Health IT at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And we are going to get an update on all things ONC is working on to help create an open atmosphere for us to grow our health tech companies. So Mickey, it's great to have you here. Thanks, Jessica. Really happy to be here. I am so excited to talk to you because I think, you know, one of the things about a lot of these, the policies that you're working on, the frameworks that you're setting up, the standards, it's like for some of us who are not, you know, developer background, this goes over our heads. And so we're going to have more of like a high level conversation about what this means to the rest of us who are in health innovation. So we can help our developer friends along and we can help OMC and support some of the things that you're working on in order to, you know, improve the exchange of health information. And so one of the things I wanted to dial in on right off the bat is this health affairs article I read from a few days ago. And you're talking about the fact that this year is going to be a transformative year. And so I mean, to quote you, this year will be the transformative year. It will take the decade long investment in health information technology to the next level. And so I want to understand, Mickey, you know, what is it about this year? What's going to happen that we need to be aware of that really is going to take that decades long investment to where it needs to go. Oh my God, did I really say that? Yes! Uh, <laughs> Busted! Uh, I, guess, I guess it must be true then. <laughs> um, so, if it's yeah, not, no, this I, interview is going to take a very interesting turn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I really do think that, it's, uh, that this is going to be a transformative year. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason I think that is, um, as, you know, as I, as, you know, sort of in that, in that sentence that you quoted, and we spent, you know, like roughly 10 years now and, you know, over $40 billion of public um, investment and an equal amount on the private side and a ton of sweat equity on the part of uh, providers and uh, health IT developers and, um, and other stakeholders to lay this electronic foundation. Um, and it's taken a long time um, and, uh, and it's been a ton of hard work. But now here we are, like the dust is settling on this foundation. And now we can start to think about what is it we want to build on top of that. So a part of it is, you know, just sort of the, the you know, sort of the work that, you know, has been done and accomplished. And now here we are at the end of it. Um, and what intersects with that is the 21st Century Cures Act and a number of requirements that come from the 21st Century Cures Act that basically direct all of us to start building on top of that foundation, to sort of recognize that you've got this digital foundation now that you know we can start to think about the healthcare delivery system as being digitally native, um, which you know which it really wasn't before. I mean, it, you know, and, and I'm not saying that it is, you know, you know that we flipped a switch and now we're digitally native and there's no more paper and there's no more faxes um, because we know that those are there and those exist and and the healthcare delivery system is still based on you know paper, bricks and mortar, uh, you know, kinds of principles, but. From this point going forward, we know that electronic health records are in the vast majority of provider organizations, acute hospitals, um, uh, healthcare, uh, ambulatory providers, and all of that is becoming more and more digital. And so we can now start to think, how do we redraw the way healthcare delivery is, uh, you know, is, is structured? And how do we you know, sort of remap that to a world that's based on bits and bytes 
and not on paper, bricks and mortar. And I think that, you know, that your audience here are, you know, the innovators, right? They're the ones yep. who are trying to redraw that map. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, really forward to the ongoing engagement. <laughs> I mean, so you're preaching to the choir here, obviously, but it's like what I what, what I want to make sure that we understand on our side of things is, you know, is, is some of the finer points in terms of how this is going to impact us and, and really what's changing, because a lot of these innovators don't have this 10 year perspective of what's happened and all that's gone into laying this framework and what it really means in order to, to they're, they're kind of coming in like, all right, great, let's build on top of it. And, and I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, if you could share, you know, I mean, I, I know where we're at right now, but give us like a little bit of a, a backgrounder on this, like a couple minutes, just like talk to me about like about this change, because you've been involved in this for a really long time. I mean, from back in the days in, in your role in Massachusetts, you know, setting up health information exchange there. I mean, like, so, so give me a sense of like, let's talk through the pain and suffering that went into this, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, you know, when I mean, when ONC was first founded in 2004, and that was kind of when I got involved in health IT. Um, you know, we were looking out at a landscape that was 10% of providers had electronic health records. And that included, you know, my sister-in-law's access database, which I swear is really awesome. It's like the best EHR or, you know, Microsoft <laughs> Word on with macros. I mean, I don't even know if Microsoft Word had macros back then, but, you know, but that, that was included in that 10%. Um, and, you know, back then, and I know a lot of, because, you know, because this is the innovation community, Many, many of, uh, of the people who are listening to this actually don't remember 2004. Back in 2004, they were in high school or something. Right. Um, but there, there was a world back then that felt really barren. I mean, we're all looking out and saying, how the heck are we going to get the most complex part of our economy to adopt electronic health records, knowing that there's a ton of value to doing that and seeing that you know, it was happening in banking, it was happening in the retail industry. It was happening in airlines, but how are we going to get the healthcare you know, sector move? And we were looking, you know, at other industrialized countries and somewhat envious of what, you know, what was going on in Europe, for example, and in Australia and other countries where they had, you know, jumped ahead with electronic health records. I mean, they had really leaped ahead. And in part, it was related to the structure of their healthcare delivery system that in the UK, for example, yeah. you know, they are the payer, they are the provider. So they get all of the, you know, the economics all line up where it makes sense for them to invest in that network because the returns will all flow back. In the US, we have this problem where the providers, you know, it's so fragmented, right? The healthcare delivery system is so fragmented and the economics are so complex that you have the providers who are basically saying, I'm not gonna invest in electronic health records because you're asking me to pay all the costs and everyone else is getting the benefits. I actually don't get any of the benefits. I, I have no pricing power. Like if I was in another market, I have pricing power, right? I could pass the, the cost of that onto my, uh, onto my customers. I could amortize it over a number of years, increase my prices, get my return on investment, whatever payback you know, makes sense to me. I could do all that. But right now, you know, a healthcare payer, Medicare, isn't going to pay me any more for, for implementing electronic health records. So all the benefits have to come through efficiency and you know how am I going to get that efficiency to justify the thirty-five, forty thousand dollars per provider that an EHR system would cost? So we kind of had this stalemate, and the and the payers on the other side were like, well, you know, it's all fragmented. Any particular doctor, maybe you know, ten percent of their patients are mine, but ninety percent are others. So why would I help them? You know, if I, you know, I'm in, I'm investing in my competitor's ability to, you know, to have efficiency. So why would I do that? So anyway, we had this big stalemate for a number of years. So that's kind of what it looked like. It was a barren field. And then high tech came along, which is basically the way I think about this is, you know, pure, like in business terms was Medicare and Medicaid, the only, um, you know, sort of the only healthcare entities that are big in every market. You know, if you look at everything else, every yeah. other payer, every other provider, 
or they may be big in local markets, but they're not big in every market. Medicare and Medicaid are big in every market. And so they basically were looking at it and saying, I've got a supply chain issue here. I need my supply chain, which is the providers who provide the care that I pay for. Um, I meaning all of us, right, as taxpayers um, that we pay for. Um, and I need to get them to invest in technology. But right now I've got the stalemate. So why don't I you know, sort of subsidize that? Why don't I actually provide them incentives? And, you know, and, and I think you know, probably lots of the people who are listening to this are very familiar in other industries. Toyota, General Motors, Walmart does this every single day. Right. They, they work with their supply chain and they say, ah, tell you what, we will split the cost of that RFID technology that, you know, that I want you to implement. But you feel like, you know, it doesn't make any sense to you. So why would you do it in the same way? This is basically Medicare and Medicaid looking out and saying we need our supply chain to, you know, to upgrade. We understand that we get a lot of benefits. So we're happy to split the cost. So that was, you know, sort of the meaningful use program. Right. That's how the meaningful use program came into effect. And we had the ability then to say. We can provide a lot of money, $40 billion, to get the, you know, our supply chain to, um, you know, to basically upgrade and implement these technologies. So you know, that, that was sort of the hard work that was needed to be done, the alignment of the economic incentives to get us to the point where we are now. And that, that took 10 years. And like, here we are, right? And it's like, yep. and so like where, where we're at now, and, the, and this was, a, you know, another thing that I was, was looking through in that, that piece you wrote for health affairs, you know, it's like, there's like the three core things that we're talking about now. And I'm wondering if we can kind of pick your brain on some of these two, because it seems like the things that are happening, that building on top of that platform that you guys have spent so long creating for us, information blocking, API standardization, and then TEFCA, the, and I'm going to mess this up, trusted exchange framework and common agreement. And so I want to understand, yeah, I had to cheat. I looked at my notes, (laughs) but I want to make sure that we understand as a, as you know, as health tech innovators, you know, what that means, both in terms of not only the technology side of things, but also the business side of things as we're helping kind of support and align those further align those economic incentives to try to digitize and, and bring more technology into healthcare to help, you know, do all the things better, you know, whether it's using AI to help, you know, better identify patients for like earlier in, in their needs for care or, you know, smooth out payments on the back end, like that whole gamut. So let's start with information blocking, because I do feel like this has been um, and this has been a topic of conversation for, you know, it's, since the rule went into place, then as things got delayed through COVID. So can, can you give us an update on where we're at now with the information blocking rules? What what should we expect this year? Yeah, sure. And, and all three of those things you named, um, you know, APIs, information blocking uh, policy and TEFCA all fit together. I mean, yeah. they all, you know, they all fit together, even though they are separate things that were named in the 21st Century Cures Act um, that was, you know, that was implemented. I mean, the 21st Century Cures Act was passed. And in 2016, it was signed by President Obama and wasn't implemented. It feels like a lifetime ago, until we came into office, it wasn't implemented. So, you know, I, we really need to get moving on this. And so that's a part of why I think, you know, 2022 is going to be so important is we're implementing these things now. We're basically saying all that great stuff that was in 21st Century Cures Act that had really strong bipartisan support, um, we're, you know, we need to put it in place because, you know, there's a tremendous amount of value for that. So, um, Let's take those. Let's take those. Yeah, let's do information blocking, you know, to your point, one of the things that, you know, as a part of the, you know, the lessons that we've learned over, you know, over a number of years is we implemented electronic health records, as I said, and one of the things that we saw, because a lot of people say, boy, what a failure, you guys should have built in interoperability from the first day. Well, one of the things that we found is that in turning the arguably the most complex sector of our economy, which, you know, back certainly back in 2010, and it still is kind of like that today, is really like a 
craft industry. I mean, you know, if you think about small provider practices and how much they, you know, how much they do in terms of care, those are like small, you know, businesses. Um, they're not, you know, sort of Mayo Clinic. Um, that, that is not the image that people should have in their minds um, when they're thinking about the healthcare delivery system. Um, so, you know, so there was a lot of challenge to say, you know what, we just need to get them to move from paper to electronic and land safely, meaning they've gotten, you know, they've moved to electronic documentation and they're actually getting paid. And I know people, you know, always say, oh, electronic health records are just fancy billing systems. Well, people actually need to get paid. I mean, if people aren't getting paid, you know, we, and we, you know, my organization back then, nonprofit, we worked on, you know, elbow to elbow with providers implementing electronic health records. And I can, you know, tell you with assuredness that the minute the revenue cycle stopped for a provider was the minute they said, I'm not doing this stuff anymore. I'm, you know, I am going right back to paper because I'm not getting paid. <laughs> so, you know, we need to, we needed to focus on that. We needed to say, that's a part of landing safely. You do electronic documentation and you're getting paid. Um, so we spent a lot of time doing that. And now we sort of say, and by design, we said, we'll hold off on interoperability. And in some ways I say, you know, thank God we did that. Because if you think about, you know, if we had tried to do interoperability back in 2012, 2013, it would have been like trying to force, you know, um, AOL on everyone or CompuServe, right? We would have basically said, oh, well, here is the way we think about the internet today. AOL, awesome service. Perfect. <laughs> you know, CompuServe, Prodigy, for those who remember all of these, you know, these old services, right? Because we would have, because we didn't really know. I mean, you know, we weren't talking about APIs then. We weren't talking about RESTful APIs. Fire was, you know, not even existent back then. It was then. not even a so, spark. Right. And right, exactly. And so in a way, you know, you sort of look at look ahead and say, look, we're gonna be doing this for five, seven, ten years, it turned out. We better, you know, sort of phase this and acknowledge that there's gonna be a lot of technology developments and let's keep the options open to how we're going to do this. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's exactly sort of how it played out. But we laid that foundation. Now here we are. So 21st Century Cures Act comes and says, great, you guys have laid this foundation. Awesome. Um, first thing is we've got some behavioral problems. With, and that was the perception of the, you know, the, the, uh, the Congress and said and the behavioral problems are that people don't have an instinct to share the information. They have an instinct to um, to not share the information. And we could, you know, we could argue about whether is that hoarding information for competitive purposes or my experience actually is that it's more about people not putting it high enough on the priority list. Because if you, you know, because it actually is real work. It's real work to, to do interoperability. It isn't just, oh, let me just flip the switch and yeah. now everything's interoperable. It's like a lot of workflow change. Um, there's a lot of configuration, some technology that you actually have to implement to make sure that it's you know, sort of interoperable with these other systems. So it's real work. And any CIO, any small practice, you know, they've got 18 things on their priority list. And every year it's like, well, interoperability, yeah, that'd be great. And, you know, I still get it via faxing and you know, I got to do all these other things. Basically, the 21st Century Cures Act with information blocking is saying, you know what? You got to make that a priority. <laughs> um, you got to make that a priority. Um, HIPAA says that you are permitted to share the information, but you're not required to. 21st Century Cures Act comes along and says, you know what? You're, you're actually required to. So move it up your priority list. Make sure you're making that information available. So this year, what that means is on April 5th um, of last year, again, you know, 21st Century Cures Act passed in 2016, didn't go into effect. On April 5th, we said, this is going into effect. Everyone is required um, to do this from, from this point going forward. And what that means is they are required to make available information to patients and to other parties um, through means that are without special effort is the actual you know, sort of term of art. Um, and so what that, what that means now, what we've seen is we have a complaint portal. Um, people can file complaints um, where they believe that information blocking has occurred. 
And um, we publish this, this data, it's on, our, it's on our website and we're gonna to continue to publish the data on a monthly basis. Um, we've received over one complaint per day on average since April 5th. The vast majority of those are patients complaining um, that providers are not providing them access to their information. So already I think you're starting to see, you know, it's having some impact on the market. Yeah. Now, arguably, you know, and, and certainly maybe there's way more out there and 300 is a really small number over that period of time, but hopefully awareness will grow and, you know, and we'll see that. But I think that that's the first step to sort of saying, we got some visibility now into what's happening. And now we have a process for identifying where these things might be occurring. And then, you know, and then we'll go through enforcement and all of that. So that's the first piece, which is yeah. information blocking. Let me pause and see if you have any yeah, questions. Yeah, I mean, I think my, my big question on information blocking is like, you know, ha- given what you know about, you know, uptake of, of health policy in this arena, you know, what what are your expectations? I mean, in terms of how long this is going to take where it's actually working? I mean, like 10 years to go from 10% digitized EMR to 90% of providers having an EMR. Like, if you're thinking about this, like, Mickey, like, give us a reasonable expectation in terms of, like, what's the pace of this really going to be? Yeah, I mean, you know, my guess is that, you know, it's not a one-year thing. So as much as I'd like to think, you know, as a... <laughs> As a regulator now, 14 months in place, you know, uh, I took the job thinking, oh man, I'm gonna have all this power. I wave my wand and <laughs> everyone does what I say. The reality is, you know, our thing went into effect on April 5th. Does that mean that on April 6th everyone changed their behavior? You know, we know the answer to that is no, right? <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, so but I do think that you know, over the next two to three years we should start seeing significant change in the industry as people, because people are really starting to incorporate it, I think, in their thinking. I mean, we've, we've talked to lots of provider organizations who compliant, you know, from a compliance perspective, they're looking at it and saying, we, you know, this is, this is a regulation. It's just like HIPAA. It's just like other regulations. And we need to be in compliance because, um, you know, OIG actually has enforcement authority over this and they can, you know, administer fines on, you know, on two of the three actors. So, um, you know, so I think that we're going to start to see that over the next couple of years, that there will be substantial change in, the, in people's attitudes toward this, in part because of the compliance part. Um, and I think the complaint process, and I see the, uh, you know, a really important role that the government plays is providing information back to the market, which is why it was really important to me that we provide the complaint data back to the market to say, hey, here's what's going on, you know? So yeah. now you market, you can start to understand this. And hopefully that was a good, that was a message to providers that, Hey, we got some cleaning up to do here. Um, you know, these complaints are actually coming in, so we probably, you know, ought to pay ought to pay more attention to that. The other the other reason I think over the next couple of years we'll start to see it is, and this is I think where you know where the audience here can play a critical role Please, is yeah. that is in the strategic opportunity of it, because you think about you know part you know yes the information blocking role it imposes a burden on you if you're a provider or a vendor to make information available. But the other side of that, and when I was at HIMSS, I talked to an EHR vendor who their first message to me was, we see this as strategic opportunity. We have, you know, we've, we haven't been able to access information from other systems. And now we're starting to say, hey, we are able more to more easily access that information. Think about everything that we can do um, from a value perspective, from a benefit perspective, and think about the costs that we're not going to have to bear because it'll be easier to get that information. So I think that's going to be the other side of it, that people start to move from compliance to seeing the opportunity and saying there is, you know, there is business value here to be driven. And that's where, again, where this audience plays a huge role pounding at the castle doors (laughs) saying, Hey, you know, if you get access to that information, like 21st century cures act, here is the app that is going to solve a couple of these problems that you're facing every single day. 
between your castle and your magic wand, you have a very fantastic magical view. I know. I, you I know, love it's it. Like Harry Potter, <laughs> you the know, magic of health IT <laughs> with Mickey Trevathy. <laughs> All right. This is, I think, the perfect segue to the API conversation then. So talk to me about the API standardization. And I'm sure my audience is probably, you know, pretty up to speed on this, but just high level us the same way you did just here. I I mean, I like to hear about it in both ways, because I do think that it helps the rest of us who are more on the business or strategic side of of health tech understand what's going on so we can support, you know, our folks who are developing. So talk to me about the API standardization, how this fits into this puzzle. Sure, absolutely. So I think as you know, most of your audience probably knows, even if they're not technical, APIs kind of drive the internet now. It's the, it is the modern internet convention for you know, making, making information accessible, um, very lightweight, um, you know, very common convention and common pattern. And it's what allows us to pick up our phone and do our banking, send some, you know, send money to our, you know, to our kids via Venmo, um, you know, order Uber Eats, uh, do banking, all with the, you know, with the click of a few buttons on a very lightweight app. And healthcare has kind of lagged in the adoption of, you know, sort of that pattern. And so what we want to do, and, and again, this is coming from the 21st Century Cures Act, which said that information should be available through an API, it specifically said API, which might surprise people that, wow, in a statute, it actually said API. Well, it did say API. It didn't say fire, but it said an API. And it said it should be accessible without special effort. Those are like the key terms in the same way that meaningful use is now burned in our brains. Um, you know, without special effort is now burned in our brains. Because I'm going to get a t-shirt without about. special effort. Right, exactly. Without <laughs> special effort. But yeah, that's a great idea, actually. Thanks. Um, yeah, I see. Where are you at with that? <laughs> uh, so, uh, so we took that and said, we believe that the way to accomplish without special effort is for the industry to adopt a standard, open industry standard API so that regardless of which EHR vendor, you know, sort of that provider uses, I can take my app, I can build my app and know that I that it's scalable across all those different environments. Right now you have the problem that, you know, you got a whole bunch of proprietary apps. No one is required that it be that the APIs be standard. Now we're saying this should be a common level playing field so that if I'm a developer, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's Epic, Cerner, eClinic Orcs, Athena Health, um, you know, C- CSPI or Evident, whatever it is, I know that the economics now are going to work. I can build that app that's going to work across that ecosystem. So that's, you know, that's what we've been pushing really hard. And, and as we know, you know, open architecture ecosystems are what help to drive value. And you start to be able to create value on top of that. And so that's, from our perspective, is the fundamental goal here is to have an open API platform or, you know, sort of ecosystem that people can then build on top of it. And they can form whatever kinds of business models you know, sort of make sense on top of that without our having to dictate, oh, this is what you should develop because we don't want to do that. We just want to say it's open architecture. It means based on open industry standards and systems that assume that they are going to interact with each other, right? If you think away, think of the way that Expedia and Canoe or and Kayak, you know, work today, Canoe um, and Kayak work today, right? They don't store the data. Their, their business model is based on the assumption that they are going to be able to on demand use APIs in the background to bring the information together for when Jessica has to go back to Florida and wants to, you know, figure out which, which, uh, you know, which flight is going to be the cheapest. Um, and so that's what we want, right? And that's all just based on open APIs in the background. That's what we want, you know, sort of healthcare to be able to get to. And that's what the fire API requirement is about. And the requ- EHR vendors are required to make that available to their customers by the end of this calendar year. Okay. That was going to be my question. I'm like, where, is this a flip switcher kind of move here, Mickey, or is this going to be one of those long, long tail where everybody's got to switch over and where's that? So the yeah, requirement well, we, is by the end of the year, but give us a sense of timing on that. 
Yeah, I mean, so we've done, you know, what we can through regulation. I mean, one of the things that, you know, that is really important to me, you know, from a regulatory perspective is, you know, how do you figure, I think regulation is really important in healthcare because the industry is so fragmented. So otherwise it doesn't move in, you know, in, in coordination and that makes it really hard for developers and others to really build scalable models and really build business models. So how do you get enough regulation, but not too much? So we keep creeping, you know, more and more into it as we learn lessons. One of the lessons we learned from the past is that when we said, oh, this has to be in place by this date, is that you had a lot of developers who would say, okay, well, we have closed the code on at 11:59 p.m. <laughs> you know the day, on the day that it's required and now it's going to take you know 2 years for us to make it available to our install base. Um, we learned some lessons and so in this regulation what it says is that every EHR vendor is required to make it available to their customers by the end of this calendar year. So that okay. means it's not only in, G- in GA but you actually have um, given the opportunity for the provider to actually get that upgrade before the end of this calendar year. So I actually think, I think it's going to happen on a much faster time frame. Now, one of the things is we can't require that the providers do that upgrade. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the, uh, you know, sorry, I got my dog uh, here. I in the like it. That's doing, okay. No worries. Doing things that she shouldn't be doing. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll allow her for uh, a couple more minutes. Um, so, um, so anyway, so that's the requirement. Again, it's not going to have, you know, we, we, we have, high confidence that most of the vendors will have that in place before the end of this calendar year. Okay. And if you're a developer and you're finding that your provider is saying, oh, well, I don't have that version of Fire implemented, I think that's the opportunity for the developer to push the provider and say, your vendor was supposed to have provided to you by the end of this calendar year, you know, go check, do yeah. that upgrade because now I can sell my product to you or, or you can take advantage of the benefits of my product as um, because, you know, through that Fire API. That's excellent. Okay, good. So helping everybody kind of become interoperable in that way in terms of being able to integrate some of these new technologies. That's fantastic. All right. Last thing then on in this three-point uh, ONC yep. plan for the year. Tefka. Talk to me about Tefka. Because this Tefka. is one, yeah, honest, yeah, I'm going yeah. like, to be very honest with you. And I, this is one I have the hardest time understanding. So no, get it. All right. I'm going to make this easy. I'm okay, good. Really easy. So the first thing I'm going to make easy is you know, TEFCA, the Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. I like to think, and, you know, we like to think that, you know, TEFCA is just going to become TEFCA, like HBO, right? And, okay. you know, like I like to, <laughs> I asked my kids, you know, the other day, do you guys know what HBO stands for? And they're like, it stands for HBO. I was like, no, it stands for Home Box Office. And they're like, what the heck does that what? mean? <laughs> What's a, a Home Box, box Office? office? <laughs> so that's what we want TEFCA to be too as well. And we explained, no, oh, it's a Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement. It's like, I don't know what the heck that means, but it's TEFCA. It's network interoperability. It's nationwide network interoperability. Just call it TEFCA. Okay. Um, so what is the idea of TEFCA? Imagine a world where AT&T and Verizon as wireless carriers, great nationwide networks, overlapping geographies, but they're not connected to each other. So if you and I wanted to talk to each other, Jessica, I would have to know I'm on AT&T. Uh, are you on AT&T? No. Uh, uh, darn, we can't talk to each can't other. Talk to each or other. it's limited functionality. Like with you, it's like, well, I could text with you. I can do a voice call with someone who's on T-Mobile, but we don't have uniformity. And each one is like this weird pairwise, you know, sort of negotiation that happens between the carriers in the background. And there's no consistency across them. That's a little bit of the world that we live in today. We do have interoperability at the network level that people should realize the private sector has actually accomplished a tremendous amount that people don't realize actually has happened through care quality, Commonwealth, the health exchange, a number of state HIEs. Um, but they do a lot like care quality alone, just to give people a point of reference to another yeah. industry. Um, 
the SWIFT network that by now everyone knows what the SWIFT network banking, is, right? Yeah. Um, a month and a half ago, no one knew what SWIFT was, <laughs> unless you're in banking. Now, unfortunately, we all know for, for very bad reasons. Um, but the SWIFT banking network does something like 40 million transactions a day. I, you know, I, I was reading, it was a New York Times article, and I was like, oh, 40 million transactions 40 million. a day. That's interesting. Yeah. We, people always say, why can't healthcare be like financial services? And I thought, well, what, is, what does Care Quality do every day? Because I know they do millions and millions. Well, the number from care quality is they do 50 million a day, Whoa. 50 million transactions a day um, of exchange, you know, and, and about 10 million of those. So 20% of those are actual payload, which is the actual medical record. And then the rest are a search for a patient, confirmation that I have the patient. Can I have the record? Yes, have the record. So that's what that adds up to 50 million. Wow. But that's actually the more apples to apples comparison because Swift is a messaging um, you know, platform. So it does messaging across banks. So it is like the, you know, the apples to apples is like, it's roughly equal, just care quality is roughly equal to what Swift does at a global, on a global basis every single day. So people don't know that, right? That exists in the background. I can tell by your face that you're yeah, surprised. Yeah, no, I'm shocked here. at that. And I think to myself, and that's just one, like there's right. so many and that's more just care quality. Yeah, and that's if just you think about one. what's happening, what's happening within Commonwealth, that's another 10 million mm-hmm. that you add on top of that. What's happening just within the health exchange, not, you know, going across that's another, you know, I don't know how many, 10 million, 20 million, whatever. Yeah, I mean, you extrapolate so, that out. I mean, that's like unbelievable. Right, exactly. But they're not perfectly connected. Um, and they also don't, uh, they haven't opened up to the broader use cases that they want. So what? So that's the first analogy that I want to draw is this is like connecting up AT&T and Verizon and T-Mobile and saying, you know what, let's also just all have a common legal structure, common technical specifications and common expectations. So if you're a Verizon user, you know that you can do this basic dial tones or you can pick up the phone and call someone who's awesome on T-Mobile night. and you don't need to care about it. You don't need to care about which network they're on, right? I have no idea what cell phone network you're on, but I know I can call you. I know yep. I can text you. Right, so that's the first thing that Tefka is going to accomplish is, is that. Um, the second thing that, you know, that I think is also is really important is opening up access to other types of use cases. So right now, public health doesn't participate in those networks. So imagine, you know, we have 50 million transactions per day, um, you know, in clinical systems. We're in a pandemic. And public health agencies are not allowed to access that information. That's crazy. It's like totally crazy. Right? Um, yeah. And why is that? Well, it's, you know, it's hard for the private sector to wrangle with these complex regulatory issues that are, that's our public health system, right? It's 64 different jurisdictions, really complex public, you know, so I don't blame the, you know, the private sector networks for, you know, for sort of stalling a little bit on getting the public health use case up and running because it's really hard. So that's where TEFCA with the federal government presence, we're working directly with the CDC engaging jurisdictions to say, how do we actually figure out some of this stuff? How do we start to figure out, you know, the reconciliation of all these different jurisdictional laws and, you know, and, and data models and say, can we all just agree to a common way of doing this? And then you can participate in these networks and then you don't have to spend all your time wrangling fax data and typing it into Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> and you can spend more time actually doing public health activities which every single public health agency wants to do, right? They, they hate wrangling data. So that's the other piece. And then payers um, and individuals also, the ability for them to access the network directly so that they're not having to go through this cumbersome side, you know, things. And, and I think that for the developer community, that's this audience, thinking about all the models that now um, you can, you know, sort of uh, uh, build based on, you know, with payer presence, uh, accountable care, value-based purchasing, you start to think about how do I get apps that can sell, help to serve that, you know, sort of the, you know, the value enhancing um, kinds of business models that get right into the revenue cycle and the more end-to-end clinical to administrative with a, a, an expectation that I've got a network backbone that's going to support that. I don't have to build custom interfaces anymore. 
So that's a huge part of it. The way, the last thing I'll just add here, Jessica, is, you know, to me, the way to, you know, think about Tefka and the Fire APIs and yeah. how do those work together is think about, you know, your banking app. Okay. So right now with you use Venmo or you use PayPal or you use, you know, your banking All app. Of the above. Credit, <laughs> app. Right? And so at any, at any given point in time, I can get onto my app and I know what my bank account, um, you know, is up to date. I can make a deposit. I can withdraw money. I can, you know, do whatever I want on that app. But there is a backbone that makes sure that that information is up to date, right? That when I actually do the Venmo transaction that, you know, in basically real time, Venmo actually takes the money out of my account and yep. puts it into your account. And there's a backbone infrastructure that does that. For that. And that's what Tefka is. So okay. if you think about the Fire APIs are about how do I access it as a user using the yep. app? And Tefka is about how do I make sure I've got a high volume, high reli- highly reliable backbone infrastructure to make sure that records are where they should be whenever any provider or patient wants to access them through an API. This is like the ultimate interoperability play. There we go. Right? <laughs> and 2022, right? Tefka went into place. January 18th, fire APIs required this year, information blocking really kicking into effect this year. All those pieces come together. And that's why I say 2022 is going to be a transformative year. year. Just like with anything, it's not going to like we're in it. So it's not going to feel transformative, but I am really confident that four or five years from now, we're going to look back and say, Wow, 2022 is when things started to get to the next level. Really change. So, okay, so then leave us with this. So these things happening this year get, keeps gets you very optimistic about what's going to happen moving forward. So talk to me about what ONC is looking at next then in terms of 23, 24. Like what, what is on your, I mean, beyond the implementation of these things and making sure that they get put in place correctly. Like what what is the the next big thing as you see it, that like the, 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 the carrot that's dangling on the end of the stick here? I want to know what your thoughts are Absolutely. on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, you know, it's, it's, it's basically moving, you know, moving through the value chain. And because we basically are helping to push the industry through the value chain, but we also follow the industry through the value chain. Right? So we basically <laughs> say, all right, we've got electronic health records. Now we get interoperability and we get APIs and we get Tefka and all of that great stuff. So, you know, certainly a big part of this is going to be making sure that, you know, that we have common implementation of this and that everyone is just moving forward with this, you know, with basically open architecture, um, health IT ecosystem. The next set of things is now let's think about, you know, use and are there things that we need to do with respect to the use of that information that make sure that we continue to have a level playing field and importantly, that it addresses some of the issues that are related to healthcare disparities, um, health equity types of issues, um, so that we are sure that, you know, the technologies that we're putting in place are actually a part of the solution and don't contribute to the problem um, that we know exists today. So a number of those things that we're starting to focus on, um, data quality, right? Data quality is the bane of everyone's existence. And I'm sure, again, <laughs> most of the audience are like, oh, the oh, data no, I get from different HRs, oh my God, I, you know, <laughs> it's really hard to make use of it. And, and you know, so that's something that we're starting to look at is, you know, what are the things that we can do and help motivate greater consistency in data quality, like the US CDI, our US core data for interoperability, which is a set of data standards that we require everyone to support, for example. So how do we have better adoption of that and better monitoring and enforcement of, of that? Um, algorithms, as we start to think about algorithms, EHRs are increasingly the source of the data that drives algorithms and the vehicle that inserts algorithmic results into clinical workflows right. and administrative workflows where people are actually making decisions 
um, you know, uh, based on that, based on what the EH, what is coming to them through the EHR. So we're starting to look at that as well as we think about use and are there, you know, sort of guardrails we might want to think about, um, you know, from, from a societal perspective as we think about the use of that. And then obviously, you know, there are lots of issues related to, um, uh, to privacy. Um, as more and more information gets into your hands, one of the things you may not be aware of is that the minute you downloaded your record onto your phone is the minute that it's not protected by HIPAA anymore. And okay. Most people are actually shocked, shocked to know that. Yeah, I actually did <laughs> I was like, well, wait a minute. I thought HIPAA protected medical record information. It's like, well, it protects it when it's in the hands of certain organizations like a health insurer, like a healthcare provider. But interestingly, when it's in the hands of the patient, HIPAA no longer applies. Interesting. And your data is just as vulnerable as any other information that you might put on Facebook or anything else um, from a legal perspective. So we're starting to, you know, sort of think more about, geez, you know, how do we do more education and outreach to patients so that they can benefit from all that I think this open health IT ecosystem is going to offer to them, but they also go in with their eyes wide open about what are the corresponding risks, risks that might be, you know, sort of a part of that, and how do I do everything I can to protect myself so I get the benefits and don't pay, you know, sort of the unintended costs of, you know, of, uh, of what might be, a, you know, sort of a horrible privacy uh, issue, for example. Last question for you, kind of just springboarding off of that. I'm curious because like, okay, so we in health tech have had a great couple of years, like in terms of investment into our space, interest into our space, adoption among like both payers and providers and integration there. I'm curious on your opinion on the the health tech community writ large here. I mean, you've talked a lot about what payers are doing, what providers are doing. Your your organization, ONC, is helping enable an environment where we can all work together and these health tech companies can come in and do some of these more, you know, agile type things in terms of helping make healthcare look and feel like a lot of the other technology that we have access to. I mean, to draw on your example of banking for like making that more convenient, making that something that is a little bit more democratized, you know, so is there, I'd love to hear, you know, the concern that you might have on this growing, you know, well-funded crowd of health tech companies. And then also if you could end on a high note with the opportunity that you see for us or the thing that makes you really excited about the fact that we're seeing more tech companies come into the fray here in terms of healthcare. Yeah. Um, so um, first off, you know, I think to the extent that there are concerns, it's related from my, from my perspective, it's related almost, you know, almost entirely to the privacy issues where we've got the technology that has leapt ahead of the privacy issues, uh, okay. that's, that has leapt ahead of privacy policy. So I would just encourage everyone who's listening, if you're a, you know, if you're a health IT developer, the law may not require that you have special protections for medical record information once it's in the hands of the patients. Um, but I would just, you know, urge all of you, plead with all of you to actually put into place responsible policies for the um, for the access to that information, for the use of that information, and just making sure that the patient um, that understands what you're doing with that information and allow them to be a part of the process. Allow them to provide the consent for you to do, um, you know, take the, da the data, de-identify it and, you know, and, and sell it to pharma. If that's your business model, you know, we're not objecting to that business model. Just allow the patient to participate in that decision, <laughs> please. <Yeah. laughs> um, and certainly with identified information. I think, so that's, you know, that's my biggest concern area. Sure, and and no, you know, part of that concern is actually that a number of people coming in from other industries so I think that, you know, a big part of fire and APIs to me has been fantastic is that people from other industries are jumping into healthcare. They wouldn't before because we were doing this, you know, 
XML based, you know, 1980s <laughs> standards that, you know, I was like, uh, I'm not macro enabled that, but, Microsoft uh, yeah, Access yeah, documents. Right, you know? <laughs> right, right. A thousand page implementation guide for a CCD, you know, it's like, uh, I don't want to do You're that. You're not doing this. With Fire <laughs> APIs, we're seeing people jump in from other industries saying, I understand RESTful APIs and OAuth, perfect. Um, so that's great. The challenge or the concern I have is that a lot of them don't actually appreciate the privacy issues that are really specific to, to healthcare and, you know, and how important that is. So that's, you know, that's sort of the concern. The opportunity is, you know, far outweighs the concern from my perspective because Good. the benefits to patients and to others is huge. And, you know, I heard from Rock Health the other day that um, they, you know, that investment in health tech is something like 30, you know, 30 million a year. Um, 30 billion, with a B. 30 billion a year, right. <laughs> and, right, th- I'm sorry, 30 billion a year. And what I was describing before, we spent 40 billion over a decade to get EHRs in place. And now we're saying 30 billion a year in large part to build on top of what those, you know, what those EHRs are going to do. So that's fantastic, right? That that just speaks to the opportunity here. And, you know, and from our perspective, being able to create an open architecture IT ecosystem that allows those investments to sort of do whatever they want to do appropriately, obviously, um, to be able to create business value is, you know, is, is what we're, you know, is what we're pushing toward. I mean, you know, I feel like we'll, we'll have succeeded if businesses sort of feel like, I've got the opportunity now to have running room and to deliver value to patients, providers, and other healthcare stakeholders without the technology being a barrier to it. All right, awesome. Well, Mickey Tripathi wielding his magic wand over there at OMC. We love it. We love to catch up with you. You'll have to stop back because I think it's really important for us to understand what's happening in that macro environment in terms of the standards and the policies and the things that you're putting in place that we just need to understand how it all works together and, and from both the technology side and also from the business side. So thank you so much for walking through all of that with me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, we'd love to talk to developers. So please reach out anytime. Um, We have a, you know, we have an innovation group and we spend a lot of time with the innovation community. Love to make that bigger. Good, good. Guys, jump on this. (laughs) All right, Mickey, (laughs) thank you again. It's a pleasure to speak with you. We'll talk to you again soon. Keep in touch. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks, Jessica. No problem. That is Mickey Tripathi, everybody. He's the National Coordinator for Health IT, inviting you to you know, participate in what ONC has got going on. So check out their website over there. And while you're on the internet, head on over to my website. It is youtube.com slash WTF Health. You'll find more interviews there with the people who are changing healthcare. And I'm also a podcast. So find me on YouTube, or excuse me, find me on Spotify or iTunes. Just search WTF Health. We'll talk to you guys real soon. I'm Jessica Damasa. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's Jess. If you're looking for more news on what's going on in health tech, I've got another show airing on this channel called Health Tech Deals. In this one, famous healthcare curmudgeon Matthew Holt joins me twice a week to weigh in on the biggest funding deals, M&A activity, and exits in health tech. Just look for episodes labeled Health Tech Deals.